0: Hello friends,
1: I'm Rebecca,
0: and I'm Kenton,
1: this is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Hi everybody!
0: Hello! Last season we started a tradition, I guess, if we can call it that of taking out some books from our bookshelf and sharing them with you.
1: Yeah, we figured we shouldn't let another season go by without actually doing that, because then if we didn't, it wouldn't be a tradition. Right. Yeah. And it's summertime, and hopefully you're all getting a chance to get out under the trees, in the shade, or on the water, or someplace to take a little time and just kick back with a good book. Ah, so
0: we're going to share a few good books, or at least ones that we consider to be good books, with you.
1: Yeah, we did five last time. That's my lucky number, five. So I figured we should do five again.
0: And we have a pretty diverse selection this time.
1: Did we not have a diverse selection last time?
0: I don't know. I feel like this is especially diverse, as we'll see.
1: This just goes (laughs) off into different realms. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but each one... The first
1: one isn't so unusual. No. No. So the first one is poetry and you maybe love poetry, maybe you don't love poetry, but this is a special poet in my opinion. I
0: have to interject and say, I'm just not usually into poetry, but this person's poetry, it it rocks my world.
1: So she is a winner of the Pulitzer Prize and her name is Mary Oliver. She's no longer with us. She recently passed away, but she is a fabulous, incredible poet who sees the world through such a different lens. And the thing I love about her poetry is that it is often about nature.
0: So one of the reasons that I'm often not drawn to poetry Mm. is that I feel like it can just sometimes be needlessly flowery. But I am a fan of some of that Zen poetry, the, what do you call it, haiku and such. It's very simple, and when you have a good Zen haiku poet, they sweep you into the experience they're having even in those few words. And she doesn't follow by using few words, but to me, she does that same thing. I am often right there experiencing the thing with her because her her words just make it so evocative.
1: Yeah. I'm going to recommend her book called Why I Wake Early. Now, she has lots and lots of books, but I really, really like this one just for the amount of nature and the way that she describes and encounters nature in this book. And it's small. It's easy to carry around with you. I like to read one pretty much every day. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can read one. Read one to us. This one is called Why I Wake Early. Hello, sun in my face. Hello, you who make the morning and spread it over the fields and into the faces of the tulips and the nodding morning glories and into the windows of even the miserable and the crotchety. Best preacher that ever was, dear star, that just happens to be where you are in the universe to keep us from ever darkness, to ease us with warm touching, to hold us in the great hands of light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Watch now how I start the day in happiness, in kindness.
0: Mm. Yeah. Whenever I read that one, it inspires me to do just that, to remember that gift of sunlight and how that spreads over the whole world. And could I be a little bit like that too?
1: Yeah, even on the miserable and the crotchety, because sometimes those people are the ones that need it most. I know I've had really bad days, and it, all it's taken is someone to treat me kindly, and then I start to perk up a bit.
0: <laughs> Which is kind of how nature is, I think. Nature comes and treats all of us very fairly. And kind of impartially, in a way, you go out into nature, and you can be
1: all grumpy and throwing rah rah.
0: And nature still will meet you sometimes with a very magical experience. And
1: And sometimes, I have to jump in here. Yeah, as we've seen with the forest monks. Sometimes nature seems to know <laughs> when you need a lesson. Yeah. And maybe It's someone yeah, can. Yeah, all of a sudden a swarm of mosquitoes when there never were any before. <laughs> Everyone around you say that's odd. We never had any mosquitoes until today.
0: <laughs> Mr.
1: <laughs> Grumpy. <laughs> and then how are you going to meet it? Are you going to allow nature to transform you? Mhm. Now, she's often talking in her poetry about flinging your arms wide to experience what is, what's uh, unfolding right in front of you. And sometimes that might not be pleasant, but there is a joy in the aliveness hmm. of life, and especially when we're really, really present with nature.
0: She feels like she embraces nature, similar to Simon Montgomery, another author that we're gonna be talking about today. Two women who just let themselves sink into nature. They know how to be still hmm. and quiet, and encounter nature as nature comes to them, instead of always just dumping our preconceptions and ideas onto nature. I feel like they both are receptive.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it's clear that both of them spend, or have spent, in the case of Mary Oliver, large amounts of time in nature, no structure, simply being part of nature itself. That's something that I tend to forget, that I am. An animal, a creature, a part of this planet. I'm not just Rebecca, a human being. All these boxes and labels on me, going chunk, chunk, chunk along the kind of machine route of my life. I am a natural being, and I could, if I wanted to, go lay out in a field all day long and just be there.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, no, no, that might be kind of a fun thing to do. (laughs) Climb up into a tree and just sit for a while and see what happens. And remove your idea. Of yourself kind of almost remove your human beingness label and say i am part of nature i am part of the world
0: and see what happens when you do that yeah, yeah. powerful stuff
1: <sighs> such a good one
0: well number two is called the hidden life of trees by peter am i going to do this oh volaban yes I'm always intimidated by those German last names, but that was very well done.
1: Thank you. I think. Well, we don't know.
0: Yeah. Somebody (laughs) from Germany will tell us, Yeah, "Ah, you kind of butchered
1: that. Those of you who know German, you can just correct
0: us. (laughs) This is a book that has been criticized by some people for anthropomorphizing trees and forests, but I kind of wonder if we need that a little bit you know we've gone from a a paradigm not too many decades ago that just saw most of nature as machines i was just on a forum today talking about ants and it was clear that that it's still there
1: mm, for the a lot idea of people that yes we're just parts that make up kind of a whole that is a machine
0: well that something like an ant is basically just a a small machine it has no spirit life decision it has no personality it has no consciousness it's just a little machine and that I think justified a lot of our treatment of nature we're tending now to start to see that well the studies about birds and bird intelligence yeah the thing that led me onto that forum is that MSR is that right M- uh, mere self recognition. Right, MS, uh, yeah, self recognition test where they will put an animal in front of a mirror and the animal will have a small, let's say, mark on its forehead. And they're looking and seeing what animals seem to look at that and then reach up to their own forehead.
1: This is after they do it, not in front of a mirror to make sure Just that to make sure it doesn't like have a strange feeling, an or... irritant
0: or something. Yeah.
1: Yes, so okay,
0: yeah, there's checks in there. But when an animal does that, we have to question. Is it it's seeing that reflection, but it's reaching to itself, and, mm, and, and
1: not to the reflection, thinking it's another duplicate of itself, another creature. Yeah, maybe of that's itself. another
0: ant, and I'm going to clean off that ant. So
1: wait, you're saying that ants did this?
0: Yeah. So many species of ants are being shown now to be able to pass that test.
1: Wow, that is awesome.
0: And with the trees here, he takes us on a trip to. Recognizing a lot of the new science that's mm. coming out about trees and the wood wide web.
1: Oh, the interspecies relationships. Yes. Of the mycorrhizal fungi, is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Yeah, all of the little, little, are they kind of white threads? In various
0: colors, but we've got all these little threads that go through, and I can't remember how much in a square inch it was. Oh, it's
1: unbelievable.
0: Hundreds, if not thousands of
1: miles. Is of, like 100 miles or something like in one square yeah. inch or something? I don't remember exactly, but it was more than I thought was possible. So they must be teeny, teeny, tiny.
0: Very tiny, microscopic, and permeating the soil, although some get larger. Okay. So permeating the soil, going through dead wood, this is all over, and it is a transport network. Mm. So they started injecting radioactive dye into a tree... And then finding that, oh, wait, it went down and it goes through the mycorrhizal network over to other trees sometimes. And they can watch where the sugars of one tree are being transported over to another tree, sometimes of different species. And they're starting to see cooperation mm-hmm. among trees. Yeah. yeah,
1: isn't there that story about how a whole forest was keeping that one beach stump alive, essentially. That stump alive, yeah. Yeah. And then that begs the question, okay, if ants can recognize that they have something on them in a mirror, what do trees know? How are you going to do an MSR for a tree?
0: (laughs) That's, well, we've got different intelligences. I mean, that is what we're being shown. I think we have the octopuses, and the deep intelligence that they seem to possess, but a very alien intelligence to us.
1: Well, yes, especially because their brains aren't all in their brain area. Right. A lot of uh, the cells are in their arms, and it's sort of the same with, you mentioned birds, how they process differently, and even trees don't necessarily have a central nervous system, but they have functioning parts of them that are very similar to our central nervous system
0: right they thought in birds they can't have a sense of self-awareness because we had determined that in humans that sense of self-awareness seems to come from the neocortex birds do not have a neocortex in Mm. their brain you can have a a problem of let's say self-awareness solved in very different ways by different creatures, by different branches of evolution, and then we see, wow, if we just judge things by our human standards, well, we tend to be pretty good at that, I guess, don't we? Yeah. Including judging other humans. Or bad at that, maybe. Yeah, bad at that.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure it's a good thing, except for I am grateful for all the people out there who are looking at things and trying to say, how can I get out of my human perspective? And that's difficult to do. We can only observe from our human perspective, with the senses we're given or the senses we can create. Yet, I think it's neat that people are asking wait a second, how do I know that they're not experiencing something similar, just completely differently? Because yeah. we go
0: sponsor. Oh, it does, yeah. And Peter does such a good job in this book of waking us up to that possibility that the trees, maybe the whole forest, is an organism. <sighs> that we could start to understand more deeply maybe even someday in the distant future communicate with of course we know that there's people that practice plant communication and feel that they're communicating with plants on a i'm just going to say kind of a psychic or heart level
1: oh yeah entrainment
0: yeah yeah but as we look and we see wait a second there's there's a an electrical Quote, nervous system in trees. It moves much more slowly than ours. Mm-hmm. But are there maybe even languages of scent he talks about
1: yeah. in trees
0: where they're using that as a, a language to communicate with each other and for instance warn of danger famously with the acacia trees.
1: Oh my goodness it's so fascinating to me these other beings on our planet that we're just really starting to scratch the surface of understanding and then it does get you excited could you go out and befriend a tree i feel like our girls have done that with the maple tree in our yard the beautiful sugar maple oh, yeah her name is sugar and <clears> they're out there right now climbing all over in sugar's branches and she has swings on her and they have a little tree house there and they sit in her shade and she is actually a, a being for them yeah not just the tree but sugar,
0: very their good friend, friend sugar. And when
1: they get upset, sometimes they say, I'm running out to sugar mom, I just need to be by myself, I need to be with sugar. So I
0: think that we could do a little tangent real quick here, okay. and say that I'm going to go futurist, and predict that 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years from now, that our science is going to move more and more into a science of consciousness. Mm-hmm.
1: Understanding
0: our consciousness, understanding a universal consciousness, and that when we really start to understand this i have to wonder if we've talked about this before aliens we imagine them coming in these metal chunky spacecraft they're probably going to be visiting us or are visiting us if they were through consciousness and i imagine when we finally get able to travel intergalactically it's not going to be with spaceships as we've envisioned but rather it's going to be your consciousness. That's just me going crazy futurist. And that say, says
1: Oracle Ooh. Kenton.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back on.
1: Back on <laughs> Online. Sure. Well, speaking of traveling places, not necessarily out into the galaxy, but on our own planet, I wanted to bring up Cy Montgomery. She is an amazing naturalist, and she not only writes fabulous grown-up adult books about her adventures studying different animals in different parts of the world but she also has a collection a series for kids of talking with and visiting these different scientists Mm. and I'm going to recommend the tarantula scientist that's the one that really helped Liliana out with her fear of spiders
0: this has been big for us in this past year because suddenly Liliana developed this fear of spiders and then along came this book the tarantula scientist along came the
1: spider and sat down beside her
0: (laughs) And at first, if you open up that book, I mean, there's some very close-up photos by you, photographer Nick Bishop. Yep,
1: you will get up close and personal Whoa. with tarantulas.
0: And I thought, this is just going to scare her more. But Psy has such a great way of making creatures feel like fellow beings. Yeah. That by the end of that book, Liliana, probably by the middle of that book, mm-hmm. Liliana was getting really excited about spiders in general, wanting to meet a tarantula. And I think we spoke about this maybe in another podcast or video. And we decided not to get her a pet tarantula. She got a little figurine of a tarantula, Mm -hmm. which she keeps in an aquarium and has a habitat for it.
1: Yeah. This book, just like her other scientist books, is really neat because it pairs up with a scientist or several scientists who are studying the creature that the book is about. And so you get to learn not only about the animal, but what people are learning about and from the tarantulas Mm -hmm. that I find to be just as interesting as someone's life who follows these creatures, how they collect their data, what that helps eventually extrapolates into for the rest of the world. Yeah. It's very inspiring. And, so if you have kids her scientist books are awesome and i'm gonna just throw out there her books are awesome too pretty the much all of an octopus
0: every single i'm not gonna say pretty much every single one that we've read soul of an octopus
1: and that's an amazing one yeah where we
0: learned so much about the life that is just of the so octopuses. incredible
1: <laughs> yeah she has tons and tons of them tigers and pink dolphins in the amazon and i mean she's just great and she goes out there And I don't even want to say fearlessly. She simply has no fear of being hurt. She's fearful with the tarantula. She was afraid she would drop one and hurt it. It's just, she is so open and it's just really inspiring.
0: Yeah. That's where she turns things around, I think, because it's not, oh my gosh, like so many of these people that go out into nature and are
1: up against the dangerous.
0: Yeah. And they're talking about how dangerous these animals are and how much Deadly, danger they're and in this
1: is going to be so scary and difficult i think that's just the hollywood dramatization yeah she's the complete opposite
0: she would slide right into much more dangerous situations i mean you think about the tigers and the shirin oh, yeah. and just slides the man in eating without, tigers yeah who attack you from behind about
1: oh yeah swimming in the amazon
0: herself oh, yeah. i'm just
1: gonna go out there and swim with some pink dolphins in the amazon yeah
0: Yeah, Yeah. everybody else is worried about all kinds of things in that water, including, I got to say, I would, uh, I respect her so much (laughs) because I would be extremely hesitant on the bank of the Amazon before going in there. Oh, yeah.
1: So fabulous, fabulous person, just so sweet. And incidentally, she is a person who, she is super busy, but every time we have ever written to her, she has always written us back. Yeah. Yeah, so she is very personable. That's
0: so rare for a best-selling author. It is author so here, rare. So.
1: But she doesn't just write you back. She's interested. She's so excited. She's just so encouraging.
0: Uh, well, all right. Now, we said these were going to be diverse, and they've all been just basically nature things, <laughs> which fits right oh, in with our... wait a second. Our...
1: This next one's also naturey.
0: Well, it is, but now we're going to start to deviate a little bit. Because this one is a book that... Profoundly affected me in my youth, probably when I was 14 or 15, I first saw this book. And it's called Magical Herbalism by Scott Cunningham. The reason this affected me so much is that, well, I guess I should describe it first. It talks about the folk magical traditions of all kinds of herbs, and it's mostly the European traditions, but he also has researched from the Philippines, from Hawaii, and all these different traditions. And then he's compounded this encyclopedia, really, that goes over a wide variety of herbs, plants, fruit.
1: Wait, is this the Encyclopedia of Magical Herbalism? Yes, that what the, did I say? You said just magical herbalism. Oh, yes. Which it's is a, sort of what we call it when we want the book. Could you hear well, me... Well, let
0: see. I've got it right here. It is the Encyclopedia oh, wait, of Magical Cunningham's Herbs. Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. Cunningham's Encyclopedia of
1: Magical Herbs. So, yeah, a big compendium.
0: And for me, what it does is, A, it just added magic to the world. Mm-hmm. Made me excited about going out and finding all kinds of these plants because they had these purported properties. And then it's fascinating because it has to do with the human plant relationship. We humans, just like when we were talking about animals before, our relationship with animals has changed. If you think about our tribal people with the shamanistic, viewpoint of animals and then you look at the industrial view of animals and then you look at now how we're starting to get uh, researching into the Mm -hmm. consciousness of animals. So that shifts and that has a lot to do with the human story. The same thing has happened with plants where our relationship with plants has gone through very similar kind of situations and this speaks to an old view of plants where we saw plants as very alive as each having a personality. And when we see them that way, they're, they're very personable, they become friends. In the industrial viewpoint, we kind of started to see just some certain plants as good, the ones that brought us money corn and soy and a lot of the rest were just
1: Weeds. weeds
0: right to be gotten rid of and really sprayed yummy
1: weeds actually
0: right <laughs> now with modern interest in foraging and bushcraft people are coming to see wait, a lot of those plants that were disparaged in the past are incredible plants that have medicinal properties that have food properties yeah this
1: is gonna sound kind of silly but I honestly like to keep that one on the back of the toilet and when I have a little private time (laughs) just flip through it because it's so fun to read some of them some of them are very cryptic yeah yes with this silver knife harvest (laughs) on the third full moon of the second (laughs) year of the llama and then you'll be able to ride on the wind and see invisible people and but it's fun it's interesting to just get to see that
0: quirky some are just down home it's these are the uses the folk uses that people would put these plants to use and ah, it's neat stuff it just inspires you towards seeing the world more well magically
1: Speaking of seeing the world in different ways, we've got to talk about our last book because (laughs) we rarely recommend fiction, Uh -uh. although we do read fiction once in a while. We tend to read more nonfiction, but this one is just such a great commentary on human beings.
0: (laughs) This one's called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: And I think The Complete Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is really the way to go. Yes. That one is a number of books all piled into one book.
0: By Douglas Adams. And you cannot substitute the movie. Please don't even.
1: Don't watch the movie. It it doesn't really.
0: It's not. It it
1: doesn't really relate to the book.
0: Now, why are we recommending
1: this fictional because it's hilarious. It's so funny, and it's good to have humor in your life. But as I said, it's a commentary on the human population, the human race.
0: You know, he gives a lot of explanations for a lot of the the origin of humans and why we are the way we are, and all sorts of things are answered. And in the alien races, he makes it a satire, and we get to see in the aliens parts of ourselves that we, well, just have to laugh at because they're so ridiculous.
1: They are ridiculous, and you're laughing in the book, and then you're going, oh, this is totally human beings, totally, totally, and oh my gosh, you just have to shake your head.
0: You know, we're just such funny creatures. On that forum I was reading about ants, someone put up for proof that ants don't have any self-consciousness because they supposedly will follow a pheromone trail around in circles and circles and circles until they die and so they will act in a behavior that clearly bears no fruit and will kill them and this means they're not self-conscious and immediately of course <laughs> sprang to mind about 20 examples of how we humans do that and
1: huh right because everything we humans do bears fruit and <laughs> Oh my goodness. (laughs) Makes sense. I don't think so.
0: But we humans are very good at just, you know, overlooking that in ourselves, criticizing in other species. But this is a way to look at ourselves and really get to have a good laugh.
1: Plus, I think every planet has some form of gin and tonics. (laughs)
0: that's right I forgot about that
1: it's just it's a hilarious great summertime read and also you know if you read it along with someone you formed your little book club or something or read it with a friend it's really fun to talk about and get a little bit more in depth about our human antics
0: so when he gives for instance his origin of the humans you have to stop and wonder if his story is maybe as good as any other story that's been proposed. Oh, it yeah. just makes you laugh, I think, at equally at science and at religion and kind of a lot of the things that we hold to be sacred and say, Maybe maybe there's sillier explanations.
1: Yeah. Well and one thing that stands out for me is the somebody else's problem. Mm. That was the way they cloaked their spaceship. And are. that's something that we humans do all the time. We walk right by stuff because it's somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. We don't need to think about that or do that. And just another great example of how interesting we are.
0: So a way to laugh, but at the same yeah, time get some insight into...
1: Do a little examination of yeah. the human species. Wow. Well, do I get to say it? Yeah. time. Okay, it's time for you to unleash your life. And action point number one is
0: based on Mary Oliver's book
1: definitely and I'm gonna make this a two-prong one okay the first is check out one of her books from the library I recommend why I wake early but if you wanted a larger collection devotions is a great place to start too. and then pick a time every day that you know you'll be able to sit for a moment or two preferably outside could be in the morning with a cup of tea could be after dinner and read one of her poems just out in nature someplace where you can really absorb it and then just take a little time to settle in to wherever you are and just enjoy that moment and the part number two of this is to write your own nature poem at some point it could be after you've had a great walk it could be something you see it doesn't have to be anything profound it could even just be something simple and see what comes of it. It doesn't matter if you're a poet or not, just write from your heart how you feel, what you see.
0: Okay, number two for hidden life of trees is to go outside and I don't know if you call this one a little bit spiritual or nature immersion, but go out and try to find some of this mycorrhizal fungi. What you're gonna do is take your finger and put it down into the soil or find some dead trees, dead. Rotten trees are often the best place to find some of these thin filaments. And sit down by that. You can touch it if you want and recognize that you are touching or looking at part of a giant fungus. Now, the things we call mushrooms are just the fruit.
1: Yeah, that's so crazy. That's not the actual entirety of it.
0: Yes. And some of these fungi are immense. In fact, there's a claim for one honey mushroom up Mm -hmm. in Michigan as being the largest organism in the world. Now, there's a number of different claims for that, but this is one of them, and it certainly is among the largest creatures on the planet. So when you sit or touch this, you are seeing a part of nature that is usually invisible to us, or at least overlooked, but may be one of the most interconnecting aspects of nature. It holds literally the whole forest together. It's not just trees, but a lot of plants depend on these mycorrhizal fungi for their existence.
1: Wow, that would be neat. That gives you sort of a different perspective every time you go hiking in the woods.
0: Now, I do have to say, if you find some in a dead log, that is... Probably actually not going to be mycorrhizal, but it's going to be saprophytic, but which means that it's eating the tree. Oh
1: my goodness! But heavens. that is
0: just as important a part <laughs> of nature as everything that's going on in the soil. So. <laughs> oh
1: well. Otherwise, you could just go out and hug a tree to hmm. form a connection. Pick a plant or a tree you see on a regular basis and sit by one. See if you can get to know it a little bit. See if you can start to see its language. <sighs> All right, number three, this is for the tarantula scientist. And my suggestion for this action point would be to explore something in nature that you don't know about. How do crickets chirp? Why is lightning sometimes pink? If you have a question about anything, instead of just wondering, I wonder, and then going on, see if you can dig into it a little bit more. And if you have kids or you know kids, then get them involved. See if they have anything they want to learn about. See if they want to go down to the creek and find some tadpoles and watch them grow. Or they want to catch a butterfly and ID it and really Mm. start getting into learning more.
0: So fun. There's so much to learn in nature when you go deep like that. Wow! And
1: the thing I've learned from Liliana is that if you begin to explore and almost think of being a scientist researching Something you're afraid of in nature could be poison ivy, could be snakes, could be thunderstorms. Whatever it is, if you start to know about it and learn about it and see pictures and watch videos, you can transform your fear into a fascination.
0: So if you have a fear of something in nature, learn about it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. Number four.
0: Talking about research. For Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, our suggested action point is to choose a plant. This might be a plant that's a weed in your yard that you don't like, dandelions, let's say, or it may be the poppies that you grow in your garden. It might be that beautiful oak tree that you have standing in your front yard. Whatever the plant is, go online or go to the library and research that plant from multiple angles. Mm -hmm. There are going to be medicinal uses for that plant. There's going to be practical craft uses probably for that plant, there might be edible parts of that plant, and there's going to be a tradition about that plant. There may be new research that's coming out about that plant. If you delve into any plant around you, you are going to find stories there, and you have to go and you have to dig and explore, but it will start to show you that every single plant around us has a, a history. Of human interaction and the more we delve into that the more we start to see there's just so much depth as we would find through the tarantula scientists so much depth to any aspect of nature that we hope to look at boy and that goes back to the life of trees and the mycorrhizal yeah yeah,
1: well then I have to say that the more that we have those connections the more that we learn the more curious we are the more wonder we have really truly the more magic The more magical the world is, the more magic there is in our life. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean magic like, woo spells and things. I mean that feeling of, wow, I am really excited to be alive. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Action point number five for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
0: All right. For this one, what you're going to do is you are going to pretend that you are an alien. You've just arrived on a foreign planet.
1: If you want, you can draw what you look like, too. That's always fun. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's called Earth. And try for just, even if you do this for a half hour, just try to look at the world around you with the eyes of an alien. What do human activities look like? What does the human animal look like? What do you notice about the world? We wrote a book on this that we should publish at some point about an alien coming to earth and just how strange and ridiculous a lot of the things that we take to be normal can look like if we see them from a different perspective.
1: Yeah, it's fun to sleuth out those things that maybe don't make sense. And if you happen to notice in your life, hmm... That is a little odd. I wonder why I do that. Am I doing that just because everybody says that's what you do? But I don't actually really need to do that. It might be fun to also turn the the lens onto your human self and see if there's anything that you think you're doing that's kind of ridiculous and maybe you want to change.
0: There's a special power in looking at things like this, but looking at them humorously. And (laughs) it can help us, I think, to take life a lot less seriously. Hmm and to realize that all of our human endeavors might just be jokes we might think oh this is really serious this exploration of genetics and what it's going to teach us and but there might be a funny explanation that might make just as much sense
1: and Mm -hmm. could
0: be just as true and that helps us just to take everything a little bit more lightly to laugh at ourselves laugh at others with them (laughs) right (laughs) and have a little bit more humor and good time in life
1: well tell us what some of your favorite books are books that have impacted you or books that just give you a nice feeling of peacefulness or excitement tell us what what's important to you what you've been learning and what you treasure
0: You know, speaking of all books and sugar, I kind of want to go out under sugar and read a book.
1: Oh, are you going to pick Calvin and Hobbes? Calvin and
0: Hobbes! (laughs) Another one of our favorites.
1: Yeah, oh my goodness. Okay, well thank you so much for joining us. We're so grateful to have you as part of our community, and we hope that you are enjoying whatever you're doing right now and that books are included somewhere in that.
0: Love to you
1: all. Mwah!